Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here's Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. That intro music literally never gets old. Welcome back to another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV Sports NBA podcast. I'm Kelly Bright, alongside the second two to our big three, Gigi Spear, and Mike Calamari. It's almost as if we're LeBron, AD, and Westbrook. Or if you're a Nets fan, it's like being KD, Kyrie, and Harden. Now, you guys can decide which one of us is which. But either way, we've got a great show ahead. Gigi, Mike, it's just been an absolute crazy season. A lot of unexpectedly great teams, young stars, crazy poster dunks. I know our producer for this episode, Corey, wanted us to mention some of those crazy dunks. And We've seen a lot, and it's been really fun to watch. Kelly, it's been so fun. It's great to be a basketball fan right now. I feel like we've missed it. We miss being in the arena. Even though I haven't actually gone to a game, I've seen how popping all the arenas have been. And to just observe, to have really way too early takes already, I've been missing this. It's nice to be back. Yeah, it's, it's a great time for the NBA. I think just having fans back in the stands for an opening night, we did not have that last season, obviously, with everything in Florida at the end of that COVID year. So it's just so great. We have like our first full NBA season in a while, and it's going to be great to watch. And listen, we have a lot to cover in this episode. We're going to talk two teams that we actually, we don't give a lot of love to on the show, but I mean, we they've done their part. We have to give them some credit, and that's the Bulls and the Hornets. So we're going to talk about them later. We're also going to get into Lakers. Gigi, I know you're a diehard LeBron fan, so Definitely wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about his team while you're on the show. We're also going to talk Inez Kanner and that whole situation. Uh, Very interesting stuff there. But, Mike, I want to start off the show. You actually had the opportunity to go beat report for the Knicks game last night. How was that experience covering game, like you said, with live fans? Yeah, it was a great experience. It's actually one of my first basketball games in, I want to say, five-plus years. I think the last game I've been to was LeBron on the Cavaliers before he went to Miami so that's probably even longer than that and uh, it was a great experience I mean the garden is loud and the the fans were up for it I mean all all four quarters and the Knicks played great I mean that second unit for them really propelled them to that win they're a very deep team and they're gonna be tough in that eastern conference a very deep east but I think they're gonna be right there in the thick of it and by the end of the year we're probably gonna be seeing a playoff team I think I could see that. I could see that. Now, the Knicks have improved to 4-1, and one, one of the best records across the league, not just in the Eastern Conference, after that 112-99 victory over Philly. Kemba Walker finished with 19 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists. Evan Fournier had 18. Randall, a little bit quieter of a shooting night, but still very helpful with his team, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. And, uh, Mike, you actually got some sound from Coach Tom Thibodeau that we are going to go ahead and play now. We played a great game. You know, I thought our team played a great game. And, you know, and that's, that's what I love about our team. We have great depth. So tonight, I thought the way Kemba played helps set the tone. Julius was unbelievable in terms of making plays early. And I thought 
that made us real unselfish. We all got into a good rhythm and we played hard. You know, Embiid's a load to deal with. Harris is a load to deal with. You know, Curry he puts enormous pressure on you as well. So it was a good, solid win. But obviously, we have to take a hard look at the film. And there's a lot of things that we have to correct. That was Coach Tom Thibodeau talking about the Knicks' win over Philly last night. Now, I know when we've talked about the Knicks on this show before, we really said that this game was going to be the first true test that they would have about how how good this team actually is. And Philly is a team that scored over 108 points in their first three games. The Knicks held them to just not to just 99, uh, especially in the first half, keeping them to only 42. So. Gigi, let's start with you. What does this win mean for this Knicks team? How does it kind of represent how they're going to look the rest of this season? Kelly, you're right. This is such a good test for how they're going to be in the East. And they passed it. They passed it with flying colors. And I feel like coming into the season, a lot of people are counting them out already because it's the Knicks and that's what you're used to do. But they finished fourth last year and they only got better. And I think they're only going to keep getting better. And what I like there with the coach saying that they're going to go and study the film. They won this game and it was a no doubter. And they still have work to do and they still have room to improve. And them stressing their unselfishness, I think, is huge, too, because even one small stat that really stood out to me was how rebounds were spread out across all players, too. It wasn't just points being spread out. Like you said, uh, Randall, 16 points, Evan Fournier, 18, Kemba, you get 19 from him. But they also are spreading out a lot of rebounds, 11 from Randall, Fournier, too. But Kemba had three of his own and uh, Robinson had six. So I like that they're doing that. They're doing the hard work. They're going to be a gritty team. And the Knicks are excited to watch when they're a gritty team. I mean, I'm seeing the bing bong going around. I like that. I think it's cool that MSG is packed the way it is. And you have diehard New York fans outside the arena. And you are there. Mike's there. And you could probably feel just a way different energy than it has been in the past couple years. Yeah, I know. I went for a Sunday night game against the Orlando Magic. Now, the Knicks ended up losing that game, but, I mean, it was electric there. Like, I I tweeted about it. The New York fans are different. I know we have a lot that work at this radio station, and they are loyal. And now that their team is actually good, it's we're seeing just a new level out of a fan base here. Now, Mike, I want to talk about the basketball on the court that we're seeing out of them. And I want to bring up Julius Randle because that this is the heart and soul of their team. He was their guy last year. Now, this this game last night, he only has 16 points, but I would argue that his assists and rebounds are really how he's going to contribute to this team the best. I think when he's unselfish and he's not taking those risky shots that we see and we saw in their loss to Orlando, I think that's that's how he's going to help this team best. How have you seen him, you know, contribute to this team? What what kind of an X factor do you think he's going to be for this team this year? I think we saw the scorer of Randall last year. I think this year you might see more of the creator. And I think with Kemba Walker getting there, he's going to get a lot of the scoring opportunities. And Randall's going to be a facilitator with this team. I think he can do that. You heard the sound with Coach Tom Thibodeau. He talked about how good Randall is in creating offense. And when he gets going, he can give you 30 points like he did against the Magic. But he doesn't have to do that every night. And I think that's what's key about this Knicks team is guys can chip in. And they don't all have to be on at one night. It could be Alec Burks' night. It could be Kemba Walker's night, Evan Fournier. You know, it doesn't have to be Randall all the time. And I think that's what really serves this team's strength. They're that deep that they can afford to do that. And Randall's going to be the center of this offense. He's going to be the reason they're scoring buckets. But it it doesn't always mean he's going to be scoring them. He's going to be creating the offense for this team. So it's going to be key to get him going. But other players are going to be there to pick him up. No, I I think a big part of this team is just how— 
deep they are. I mean, like you mentioned, Kemba Walker was one of the players who they got in the offseason who was supposed to be a big, big star for them this year. And up until the game yesterday, he, he had a relatively slow start. To, so to see him pop off like that, 19 points, you know, that's that's really good for this team. Who I, I know Tom Thibodeau didn't say it, and that's on a soundbite, but I know he's stressed how important the depth on this team is. Gigi, a theme for this podcast, I think, a lot of things we're about to talk about, is looking at teams that are hot early and talking <laughs> about whether they're pretenders or contenders. You know, Halloween's right around the corner. People like to pretend, pretend that there are people they're not. We've seen, especially I want to ask about the Knicks shooting, which has been ridiculous. I know they had the franchise record 24 in their first game against the Magic, but just the numbers, they've just been hitting their threes. Ridiculous. 10 for 16 last night um, across the first 24 minutes in that game. So uh, their shooting has been ridiculous, but do you think this is just they're kind of lucky, or do you think this is something that they can sustain throughout the season? No pretenders here. Definitely contenders. I would say that they're so hungry and they are going to be a really under the radar, well-coached team. And I think that if they could remain consistent, yeah, they're 2-1 right now. Um, But I think that if they could keep getting wins against solid teams, and we'll keep seeing that. There's going to keep being more tests. Like everybody could say that the test was against Philly and they passed that. But there's going to be more tests when they go out west, when they're not at home. Are they going to be able to sustain that? And I think that they're going to keep being contenders. Um, I think also, too, you have young talent, but this is a veteran team, too. You have D. Rose, you have Kemba, and those are two playmakers that are going to move the offense around. They're going to get space, and they're going to get good shots off. And I think they're going to be good down the stretch. Say they keep going into overtime games like they did against the Celtics. To win against the Celtics, especially in overtime for the Knicks, that's awesome. Man, that's good to be a Knicks fan after that. And so I think that we can't count them out. I know my family is diehard Knicks fans too, and uh, we were getting a little upset about some preseason polls that were already counting the Knicks out. They finished for six straight seasons. They finished no better than 18 games below 500 until last year when they posted a 41 and 31 record. Come on. It's the Knicks. They only got better in the offseason, like you mentioned, getting Kemba um, and so many other key players bringing back Alec Brunks um, and Nerlens Noel. I think that they're going to keep being exciting to watch. And you're lucky. You and Mike are lucky that you could keep going to games at MSG. Yeah, Mike and I do have the privilege. I know, Gigi, you're doing the Nets. Uh, Mike and I are, are some of the WFUV Knicks reporters. So, Mike, I'll throw it to you for our last uh, point on the Knicks. What's one takeaway from that game you saw last night to keep Knicks fans hopeful moving forward? I would say it's the defense and just the intensity they bring. That's something we really haven't mentioned, and that's what this Knicks team does so well. The way they double Joel Embiid in the post was really great last night, and he was 2-7 for seven from the field. He really struggled all night long, and... They have game plans for every game uh, team they're going to play, with, like, like every NBA team, but they're executing them great. They're an amazing defensive team, and Tom Thibodeau really coaches them to work their hardest every game, and I think that's what's going to be the key. And the other thing is how loud the Garden is. With fans back, that's going to win them games. Nobody wants to come into Madison Square Garden, and the Knicks want to play there. So that's going to be a big factor for them, and I think that's going to serve to their benefit. Playing in front of those fans at the Garden, that's going to get them wins this year. I think that's a huge advantage they have, and that's why – I'm really not counting them out in the East. I really think they have a really good chance to get in and also win a playoff series. Awesome. From that, let's let's look at two other Eastern Conference uh, teams, two teams that actually missed the playoffs last season, who both started this season 3-0, and and that's the Chicago Bulls and Charlotte Hornets. Now, you want to talk about good defense and big fan bases. 
I, I think we have to include, include the Bulls in that conversation after what we've seen from them so far. I mean, they are the only unbeaten team in the Eastern Conference now. It's their first 4-0 start since 96-97, which was the fifth NBA title for that franchise with Jordan. They were 12-0, 69-win season. This, this so far, is their first four-game winning streak since, since December 2017. And even crazier stat, the Bulls as a team haven't been over 500 since March of 2017, and now they're 4-0. And I think, Gigi, we'll, we'll start with you, I think their defense is a huge part of that. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, this is their best start in 25 years. That's insane. And we were talking to you earlier before the show. To be a basketball fan is to be all in on really early and really hot takes. And right now, I'm just going to go with the hot take. Let's keep believing in the Bulls. It was cool to see Caruso out there. I'm going to miss him as a Lakers fan, but he's going to keep getting things done defensively. And just to say some of their stats, they've held opponents to 97.1 points per 100 possessions, which is the fourth in the NBA right now. They're tied for first in the NBA with deflections per game. They're third in steals and seventh in blocks. And I think that that is going to be an amazing thing to keep watching for if they could keep getting stops, because that's going to be crucial. If Yeah, of course, Lonzo and DeRozan are going to score, but to keep getting defensive stops is going to be huge. And it makes games really exciting to watch, especially for a team that you kind of definitely have ruled out. If we're talking you ruled the Knicks out, you definitely have been ruling the Bulls out. Um, so, yeah, it's good to see the, be, the Bulls be good again. Um, and defense is huge. I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, oh. So, so I was going to jump in real quick. I think one thing interesting is also to see them against, you know, the competition. I mean, they have two wins against the Pistons, Pelicans, Raptors. You know, some good wins in there, like the Pelicans, Raptors, and Pistons, a little shaky. But they do have the Knicks tomorrow night. I think that's going to be a real big test for them. It's in Chicago, but, you know, the Knicks are going to be tough. They're going to come in there, and they have a lot to play for. Coach Tom Thibodeau used to coach that team. Derek Rose, Tosh Gibson, they used to play for the Bulls, too, so... I'd like to see this team moving forward, and I'm not willing to call them real contenders yet, but my eye is on them. I think that you know they could be dangerous moving forward. So I want to thank you, Mike, for bringing that up because you said some good wins, but I'm going to be honest. I think the teams they've played so far are basically nobodies and that these were games that they should have won. So I know we hyped them up from the beginning, but we were talking pretenders and contenders, and I'm not fully sold on this team. Yes, you mentioned Alex Cruzo. He's been great. Lonzo Ball awesome Zach Levine and of course DeMar DeRozan who I who I want to have a separate conversation with about in a little bit but this is a team they they haven't played anyone good let's just be honest the Pistons not good I mean Pelicans don't even have Zion these are these are not good Raptors didn't have Pascal Siakam Pistons bad team no Kate Cunningham so these are all teams missing their best players who aren't good now you're right Knicks next on Thursday then they have Jazz Celtics Philly away they also in the next 10 games play the Nets, Mavs, Warriors, Clippers and Lakers. So I don't think we really know much about this team. Like I I to be honest, I I don't really know how good this team is going to be yet. And maybe that's maybe that's a hot take. I don't know, but uh Gigi, I let me go to you. They, this team had 12 turnovers in those la- in the last game. Caruso, Ball, Levine, Vucevic all turned the ball over at, le- at least once in the final five minutes. They were out-rebounded 48-28. They led by 20 in the third quarter to a Raptors team who, again, without Pascal Siakam, not very good. And they let the Raptors come back to pull to within two with about 450 left to go. So they have holes. There's holes in this team. 
absolutely there are holes i completely agree and someone had to burst the bubble i was gonna do it i didn't want to do it completely <laughs> i'm still gonna be pro bulls i think moving forward because i think it's exciting to be pro bulls as an nba fan uh, but you're right i mean the wins are close besides uh their win against the pelicans which i mean you're ruling out but you know someone on the pelicans I and i shout out trey murphy shout out trey murphy and he I got mean, posted in that game though okay all right so i see why the morale is down from your end yeah <laughs> we'll send it to him anyway um something i would say though to kind of keep the bubble open instead of burst is zach levine's only getting better with these people around him he's coming off a gold medal win and I feel like this could be a really turnaround season for him. He's had to put the city on his shoulders for a while. And this is his best start in all of his career. Um, and I think that we should keep looking out for him. And he's put up 22 points in their last win against the Raptors. And DeRozan's putting up 26. So you have people that could split the scoring. But I think to give Zach Levine the chance to do things besides score is going to be huge for them. And that's why I wouldn't rule them out yet. Also, I think that he's great on defense. And that's going to be crucial against teams in the West where we've seen, like, we'll talk about later. But the Lakers not doing too well, only 2-2 two and two right now. I mean, they shouldn't be. But, um, yeah, what I would say is... I'm going to keep the Bulls on my radar, just like you, Mike. And I want to keep looking out for this defense once they go um, and play some Western Conference teams. Yeah, You mentioned Zach Levine's 22 points. I'd like to, I guess, come back at you with that statement. He didn't score a point until the third quarter. So that was kind of a slow starting game for him. So definitely. But I think you're right. I think DeMar DeRozan is a huge, huge player for this team. And, I, and Mike, I'm going to go to you for this one. He had 26 points in that win over Toronto, like Gigi mentioned eight in the final four and a half minutes and he was really the reason they ended up winning that game he is just so clutch and I I, I think we've kind of underappreciated him he's been on a bad team so far so I think it's really special for him to come on a team that like Gigi said has scoring they have proven scores proven defenders and he he's just been so good for so long and I think this is going to be a great opportunity for him to really show that prove that to a lot of people yeah, I, I think he's a player that really has, you know, adapted his game to where he's gone. I think where he was in San Antonio, I think that really molded his game to a very good direction. And he's kind of a weird player in today's NBA. You know, there's a lot of three-pointers. DeMar DeRozan, more of a mid-range kind of guy. But I think in the right system, he can really work. And I think that's what Chicago is for him. And it's going to be interesting to see how he molds with those players, Lonzo, Levine. Uh, I think that's going to be really interesting, what that backcourt could be. I think it could be a really good one. But we're going to have to see the ends better competition. Like I said, they got a really tough slate. After the Knicks, they see the Jazz, the Celtics, the 76ers two times in a row. Then they get the Nets, Mavs, Warriors, Clippers, Lakers. That's a tough stretch of games. I mean, those next 8 to 10 games, that's really going to define this team. It's nice to get pickup wins against the Pistons, the Pelicans, the Raptors. But I, I'm going to need to see it against those teams first. And if DeRozan can perform again like he did, against the Raptors, against those teams, then, you know, I, I really start to think we can believe this Chicago team a little more. I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one more question, and either one of you can jump on this, because it's kind of ridiculous to be asking it. This is, like you said, Gigi, way too early to making these takes, asking these questions, but Colby White is a player on this team who hasn't played yet. He's been injured, and I think he he could help this team on, on the, you know, offensively, defensively, but he also could help them in trading him and trying to find someone else to bring in and push the needle for this squad. He's 21-year-old guard from UNC. I think he has the potential to be their top trade candidate ahead of next year's deadline. Uh, 
do you guys agree with me? Is there someone they should go out and get to move the needle? Or do you think they keep him and see what he can do? I mean, this is also a team. They, they have some question marks in, the, in terms of depth. Patrick Williams, he's starting right now, but he – he, he's very really hesitant to shoot. He had four points on three attempts in last night's game. It was the second time this season he took less than three shots. So he, I don't know if he's doing much for them offensively. Is there someone else this team should be going after before the deadline? And I know, again, this is way too early to be asking this. Yeah, Cal, I definitely think it's way too early. I mean, we've seen you don't really need him. DeMar DeRozan's putting up 20-plus points, and the only game he wasn't is when Zach Levine had 34 of his own. So they, they're going to have scores regardless. Um, I think it could be nice to integrate some young talent, but the good thing about the Bulls right now is they don't have to rely on the rookies. They don't. And he'll be back in November after shoulder rehab, um, so next week, and maybe he'll get a start against the 76ers. Who knows? But – I think we have to see him play a game first and see how much he adds to the offense. And, yeah, maybe they're not against really great teams yet, and you're going to keep playing the East for a couple uh, couple more games. But I would love to see him play. But that being said, you don't need a rookie on this team right now. Yeah, just one thing to add on there. I think the thing when I look at this Chicago Bulls team, I think of three-point shooting could be an area they can improve at. You know, DeMar DeRozan's your scorer, Alonzo Ball. These aren't really, you know, great three-point shooters. Zachary Levine can't hit the three. But he can't be the only guy shooting from there. In today's NBA, you need guys you can kick it out to. So I think to surround Lonzo and DeRozan with a three-point shooter, I think you're not going to get Bradley Beal for Cody White, but uh, Kobe White. But I think that would be a great pickup. Uh, I'm looking around the league; it's kind of tough. I mean, three-point shooters are a rarity in today's MLB. Three and D guys, every team wants one. So if they can find a guy like that on the market, I think that's the area they go in. I think that's the next step for this Bulls team to make them a legit contender. But they have some options, and I think they really got to test the waters with those tougher teams down the stretch and you know, see how they match up against them and then go from there. Well, you mentioned needing three-point shooting to be good, and one team that has that out of their <laughs> reigning rookie of the year, that's the Charlotte Hornets. LaMelo Ball had seven three-pointers for 25 points, nine assists uh, in their overtime loss to the Celtics. This is a Hornets team that not to be punny, has generated a lot of buzz Ooh. to the start of their season. They went 3-0 to start the season again, lost that game uh, very recently to the Celtics in overtime, 140-129, which the final score is kind of a little, but that I don't think that's an accurate reflection of just how close this game is. Mike, I'm actually going to start uh, with you for this one. I want to talk about not LaMelo Mall, but I want to talk about Miles Bridges, who was named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week this week after averaging 25 points per game, eight rebounds, and two assists. And he has really just stepped up in the absence of Terry Rozier and P.J. Washington. Yeah, he, he's been a completely new player from this year to you know the last year. I mean, he's averaging 25 points per game this season. He's also averaging rebounds at a higher rate, 8.5 rebounds per game, versus the six he used to. I mean, he's the kind of player that's going to be an all-star, and he can be one of the best one or two players. The way he's playing right now, he's a top 15 player in, in, in the NBA through these first four games of the regular season. I think he's a really big player for this team. And then you accompany him with LaMelo Ball, like you said. He's shooting four three-pointers per game. He's making 50% from behind the arc. He's a great player for this Hornets team. When you pair him with Miles Bridges, I think the two are really a one-two punch that are going to be dangerous for teams. And they can steal wins against good teams. They got the win over the Nets. They also beat the Pacers. They beat a pretty good Cavalier team that's gotten better over the years. And then they sent the Celtics to overtime. And you're not going to win every game, but they still played them tough. 
I think this is a legit Hornets team, and with Miles Bridges at the uh, Miles Bridges as the premier scorer for them, I mean they're going to be really good down, uh, moving forward. They're definitely a team you don't want to face if you see them on your calendar. I think that they're going to be the team that's going to steal wins from good teams. So Mike is Mike is in on the Hornets. I'm actually I think I'm in on them through four games. They have the second highest offense uh, rating across the league, ranked second in points off of turnovers. They've been strong. You mentioned Miles Bridges, Lamelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, someone who I think we haven't even seen his best outing yet. I mean, he he's got off to kind of a slow start. Seventeen, he's averaging seventeen points per game. I think he's someone who could potentially make a big three with those other two. Gigi, how much of a ceiling does this Hornets team have? I mean, Terry Rozier is not not back yet. PJ Washington is not hundred percent. How good could this team get if they're so good already? I think one crucial test that we're going to see is them facing another big three-point shooting team. So I'm excited for next Wednesday. They'll take on the Warriors, and that would be a great game to watch, I think. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep bringing it up, but there's a lot of different tests to do down um, the stretch of 82 games. And so to face a pretty well-matched offensive opponent, I think is going to be huge, especially in the um, in the Warriors. So a pretty high ceiling for, for Charlotte here, and what a start, too. I think it's amazing that it's the best start in franchise history, and Spectrum Center is crowded and buzzing, like you said. Um, so I think the ceiling is going to keep growing, and I think that's also going to be true for individual players, too. I don't think we've seen the best out of um Lamelo and also Miles Bridges, thirty-two points, nine rebounds to pair with the nineteen threes that the um, the whole team put up. So I think they're just going to keep growing, and it could be good to look out too for how they're going to play defense against offensive weapons like the Warriors. No, I, I completely agree. I'm I'm really excited to see Terry Rozier. Um, I think you know they kind of they flipped Kemba Walker to get him eventually, and I. Maybe this is a hot take, but I think he has the potential to be have a better season than Kemba Walker will with the Knicks once he's healthy. Um, I'm from North Carolina. It's been a real like, people always ask me why I'm not a Hornets fan, and I've been a Boston fan my whole life. But also the Hornets were never good growing up. However, the voice of the Hornets, Eric Collins, is really good. If you guys are ever bored and want to go and watch, just have some quality entertainment, listen to some of Eric's Collins highlights because he's just over the top when he calls a game, and his nickname. For Terry Rozier, scary Terry, and Ooh. I expect to hear a lot of that moving forward. But uh, from there, Mike, I I want to send this to you, and I want to take a step back and look a little bit bigger picture, because Charlotte is a small market team. All right, we the Bucks got a lot of love. They were ranked twentieth most valuable franchise, and obviously they took home their first title in fifty years this past season. Charlotte's twenty fifth. They're even they're even more of a small ball organiza- small ball small market organization, um, but like you mentioned, big crowds at these past few games, and I think, uh, I think the Ball brothers are. I know Leangelo just got drafted to their G League team, and Lamelo Ball being as good as he has is a huge part of that. But Mike, what does this say about the potential for small market success, and how do you think the Charlotte team could be another example like the Bucks of? You know, you finding a way to make it happen, even if it's even if they can't get to attract those free agents like teams like New York have in the past. Yeah, the key for the you know small market organizations, you got to win through the draft, and you have to convince your players you draft that you know they can really build the franchise here. That's their own name. I think the thing with Charlotte is that no one's really 
done anything with them of any success in the playoffs, really. So I think that could maybe, you know, settle with LaMelo Ball and realize that he could be, you know, one of the first to take that franchise, you know, to the finals. So I think that's something that could really settle with him. And he can recruit guys to come to Charlotte to play with him. I think Michael Jordan being there also helps that scenario. I think he can influence players coming to the Hornets. I think there's a lot of different avenues small market teams can get to um, recruit players and to attract players to their market. But you're going to have to win in the draft, and you're going to have to trade for guys. Free agency is going to be an option that's really going to be tough. I mean, if you get a guy like Kelly Oubre who really had no other place to go, that's the kind of guy you're going to get. But you're not going to get the top-of-the-line free agents. You have to understand that. you got to work through the trade market, and then you have to draft well. And if they do that, they can find themselves in the playoffs this season. I think they're already well on their way, given what we've seen out of LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges. But... You know, that's the tough thing with these small markets. It's a really thing that they struggle with. And if you get lucky like the Bucks did with Giannis, then you have a chance, but you're not going to win in the free agency. That's the biggest thing. Well, speaking of getting lucky with drafts, I mean, they drafted LaMelo Ball. They drafted Miles Bridges. They drafted P.J. Washington, James Booknight, who those those last two, they might not be stars, but they definitely can provide quality minutes. So this and, and speaking of, dra- uh, you know, attracting free agents, Gordon Hayward. Last summer, I know we kind of made fun of that contract, thought it was, they were paying way too much. But if he turns out to be the player that we know he has the potential to be, I mean, this could this Charlotte team could be something really special. Maybe not this year, but in the next few years, we could have the next the like the next coming of the Milwaukee Bucks, but down in North Carolina. You think it could convince you enough to become a Charlotte fan? No, no, no. I'm. Uh, it's too late. I, I hate being a bandwagoner. I don't want to be labeled a bandwagon fan. Oh, okay. I'm fine with that. Um, I think, too, we think about the teams that we already talked about. The Knicks had one of the biggest franchise or the biggest um, cap flexibility um, this summer, and they've turned the team around even after um, a really good season last year. So, yes, yeah, small franchise, it's so different. But like you said, Mike, you can't forget you have MJ as your owner. All right. You're going to get people that are good and going to um, – keep getting good players in the draft that want to come here and want to turn around and make a name for themselves too. I think that's huge. I think that hungriness is going to be, be crucial down the stretch. Well, we're almost out of time in this episode, but we have two more things I, I want to get to. The first one, Gigi, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Lakers. You've been, I'm a Boston fan. Mike, I know, I don't, are you a Nets fan or a Knicks fan? Uh, I'm like kind of neither. I yeah. lean towards the Knicks, but I, I'm also a big time LeBron fan. I grew up a Cavs <gasps> fan. Wow. So, so I didn't even know we have two. Yeah, big I, I'm, I'm kind of a Cavs fan. It's very weird. But oh, this I stuck is perfect. With them. This is perfect. So let's talk about the Lakers, who came into the season as clear final contenders, and yet somehow, after turnovers, collisions, bench fights, we they we have them sitting at a nice two and two. Now, when we talked about what we want to talk about on the show, they were two and one at that point. I was low key hoping that they would be. Uh, or one and two at that point, so I was kind of hoping they'd be one and three, so that would make uh, this discussion a little more fun. But you know what? They went. They were very close with the Spurs team, who was also not very talented. They ended up winning in overtime, one twenty-five, one twenty-one, and they did so without LeBron. LeBron did not play that game. Uh, Gigi, that was the first game he didn't play. What is going on with your Lakers and LeBron? Why why are they 2-2 two and two right now? I love this question. Also, Mike, I knew you were a Cavs fan because you brought them up earlier in the show <laughs> saying that the Cavs had a great game, and nobody's really been looking out for the Cavs, so I That's knew true. you must have been. That's a good point. That's, that good really listening. That's good listening. That stuck with me. So, all right, let's go, fellow LeBron fan. We know what's happening right now. It's the LeBron. It's the DNPs. His ankle's probably fine. We know that. It's just a little sore if that 
this is LeBron in the regular season, and that's what we're seeing, and that's what we're going to keep seeing for maybe 30 more games, and then they'll figure it out enough. Maybe they'll keep their number seven spot in the Western Conference just enough to make it to the finals, but this is not a surprise to me. The Warriors finished way beyond the Lakers in preseason polls, and now they're first in the Western Conference. I feel like we saw that one coming with the way that they've turned around and the way they're bringing back key players, and you still have Klay Thompson coming back. I'm not worried about the Lakers right now. What I am worried about, though, is finding a way to split scoring between Russ and Melo because you brought in two scorers, maybe not two great defensive players, so you have to score. You have to score high, too. And I think that they both can't have off nights. They both did. They didn't score above 10, neither of them, against the the Warriors in that first game. And now you have them, one having a hot night, another one being off, and then switching roles for the next game. So I think if they could both find ways to split the ball and not rely too heavily on AD, and I know you mentioned this too, like AD wasn't even that powerful in the game. And they won. They well, were he down. ended up being powerful. He ended up being, but he he didn't score. And they were down at the half by one against the Spurs yesterday. So if people could pick up <laughs> people, if other players could pick up the scoring besides um, AD and LeBron, we're going to be fine. And once LeBron's back, he's going to be doing what um, we're seeing too from um, Randall on the Knicks that we were mentioning at the top of the show is that he is going to be more of an assist guy. He's going to be more of a rebounder um, and going to be dishing out instead of going um, to the rim himself. So, yeah, maybe we'll get some highlight plays out of him, but he's not going to be their best offensive player, and we haven't seen that for a while, and we won't see that this season. So I, I think something you, you brought up there, I, I Russ, and for me, instead of Carmelo, my question is Russ and LeBron, because in the game yesterday, we, we saw Westbrook's best performance in L.A. yet to date, only had three turnovers, 33 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, and him working with A.D., was a beautiful thing. AD ended up with 35 points, 17 rebounds, four assists, four blocks, and most of those points came in uh, when he played in the game with Russell Westbrook. So I think that, Mike, and we'll go to you for this one, that is a big question to me. Westbrook is traditionally a guy who's best when he's on ball. That's you know that's where he's thrived. He, he's not someone who makes screens, makes cuts. He wants to be able to just have the ball in his hand and make plays. So... What is this? What's Frank Vogel going to do when he has the big three? You have LeBron, AD, and Westbrook, and you have two guys in LeBron and Westbrook who you want to have the ball in their hands and make plays. But in terms of lineups, like you just saw Westbrook successful with AD. Are, are you looking to have him play more with AD or are you going to have him more man the second unit? Where do you go from here in terms of lineups? It's a very interesting question, something that I really thought about before the show, actually. And when you look at the bubble, the Lakers' success was really around the pick and roll with LeBron and AD. I mean, that's where they were at their best. And then when there weren't any options on the pick and roll, you get guys kicking down and the ball rotates. That was the offense. Now, you had Russell Westbrook into this mix. It kind of complicates things because he's a guy who's ball dominant and he needs the ball to perform at his best. And when you have LeBron there, he usually is the ball-dominant player for his team. I mean, in times in Cleveland, Kyrie was ball-dominant, but Kyrie played a lot off the ball still with the Cavaliers. So I think that is a really interesting question. If I'm Frank Vogel, I'm putting Westbrook with that second unit. I think that's where he's going to be the best. LeBron and AD still work on the pick-and-roll, and that that's what's been the Lakers' problem, scoring on that second unit, and Westbrook can help them. He fills right into that perfectly 
The Lakers need to score with the second unit out. That's what the Knicks did such a great job of the last night, and that's what the Lakers struggle with. And if you add Westbrook with them, I think that really changes the dynamic of this team. But it's just about working in the fourth quarter when the game is on the line. You want your best players out there. How is it going to work with Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis? Because we all know they're going to be on the floor in the fourth quarter. We all think they should be. That's where you really need to work out. When it's the first three quarters of the game, Westbrook can work with that second unit. But when it comes down to crunch time, they're going to still need to figure out a way to have Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis play styles all mesh together. And that's what's going to be the regular season, and they're going to take their time. I'm not really worried about them. They're going to make the playoffs. It's just a question about can they figure that out when it gets to playoff time. I, I think Westbrook summed your point up great in the, in their postgame press conference against in their loss to the Suns, he said, I'm okay with the struggle of figuring it out and making sure that we're putting ourselves in a position to do the right things so that ultimately at the end of the year, we can be playing our best basketball. So I think all three of us can agree. You two know after watching LeBron last year and even in the bubble, this is a team that really, really only cares about the postseason, much like the Nets. I think we're going to see a lot of load management. I think we're going to, again, just like last year, they're probably going to be lower in the playoff rankings when we get to that part of the season. But as long as they can do enough to get into that postseason race, I think that's really all they care about. So um, if, if you're a Lakers fan, if you're a LeBron fan, to me, this isn't a time to panic. Gigi, how are, how are you feeling? Don't push the panic button. There we go. Maybe not until game 60. I think we got so much time. As long as we're in the top eight by the season, uh, the end of the regular season, we're fine. And I think something, one more thing just to mention about Russell Westbrook is he's a triple-double guy. And if he's not putting up a 20-point performance, he's still getting at least 10 points. We've seen that. But then he's also adding good amount of assists and rebounds too. So for him to be on the court, I would go against Mike. I think that he should be in that first unit. I think he should be starting and getting his um, his assists out early and splitting that with LeBron. Maybe LeBron could score earlier in the game, and he wouldn't have to be a, a fourth-quarter scorer in that way. Yeah, yeah. My biggest sense. worry with this Laker team is just, you know, who gets the points in, like, off the bench because, you know, you get rid of Kuzma, who was a problem for them, you know, last year. He did not do a lot. Danny Green was not a great performer for them in the playoffs last year as well. But, you know, is Carmelo Anthony going to be the leading scorer in that second unit? You know, Trevor Reza, Avery Bradley. I mean, these are guys that are aging. So that's where I kind of get worried. I don't think Rondo's really a scorer. Kent Bazemore is not shown to be a consistent scorer throughout his career. So I do like the idea of Westbrook, LeBron, and Anthony Davis all working on the floor at the same time because, like I said, in the fourth quarter, that's going to need to work. So you can't just avoid that problem completely. But the second unit is going to lose. It's going The teams are going to make runs against that second unit. We saw the Warriors do that. I mean, that's what's going to be the problem with this Laker team. LeBron can't play all 48 minutes all the time. So they need to figure that out. I think that's a problem for Frank Vogel. But they need to find a way to fix that second unit. And the bench guys need to f- perform better because Anthony Davis looks great. LeBron will be great. And Russell Westbrook takes time to get going. We saw that last season with the Wizards. By the end of the year, he's one of the best players in the NBA. So I'm sure those three guys will be great. It's just making it all work together and finding points off the bench. Yeah, to me, their depth is their biggest question. I think a big reason right now that it even it looks worse is their injuries. THT's out, Wayne Ellington out, Kendrick Nunn out, Trevor Ariza, who you mentioned, Mike, also out. So they, and, I mean, LeBron literally didn't play yesterday. He's I think you're right, he's going to be fine. But injuries has always been a problem for this team, especially uh, when, when their depth isn't great this year. But I think Malik Monk, remember that name, because I think after yesterday we saw him jump out there with 17 points in 39 minutes. I think he could be a big X factor for this team. But 
Uh, moving right along, really quick, I we talk a lot about just basketball. We get really deep into analytics on this show, but I think it's important that we also talk a little bit about the intersection between politics and sports. And I think what we're seeing uh, with Inez Kander out of Boston, their, their center from Turkey, and what he's doing with China and, and the campaign he's doing, um, I, I think that's really something we need to talk about on this show. If you guys aren't aware... He's essentially using his shoes as a way to protest against some of the, the use of slave labor in China. He's been he, he's not a big star for the Celtics, so a lot of times it's, he, he might be on the bench. But there's been a good coverage. I know he's been posting on Instagram his shoes uh, that have things like hypocrite Nike, modern day slaves, no more excuses, made with slave, la- slave labor, that kind of thing. Just r- really in bold lettering on his shoes, posting that on Instagram, basically calling out. China and Nike to, to not uh, do more about the situation. He said in a tweet, you, you do not address uh, police brutality in China. You do not speak about discrimination against the LGBTQ community. You do not say a word about the oppression of minorities in China. You are scared to pe- speak up. Basically saying that Nike, companies like Nike are willing to stand up for things that are American problems, but they're not doing their part uh, internationally. A lot to unbox there. Gigi, what do you make of this whole situation? I think it's huge. I think it's so different. And the biggest thing you get when you get to the league, besides a hefty paycheck from your team, is a endorsement deal. And we saw that from LeBron early on. Um, and him siding with Nike. You have so many big names with Nike. And, I mean, we're not even mentioning other companies here right now. I think that would be a way different show and a longer one, too. But I think it's huge. You ha- Like, LeBron is writing his daughter's name um, and other things on his shoes that are kind of symbolic to him and it stands out and it gets great attention but here you have cancer flipping the script and writing out about things that people are not talking about taboo things and I think um, what he said too every time you put shoes on your feet or you put a t-shirt on your back there's so many tears and so much oppression and so much blood behind it all so I think he's just breaking down a a fourth wall in a way between consumer um, as a fan and consumer as a person buying Nike products and higher up administration in Nike and in the NBA because Nike is supplying the NBA with so much money too. So I think what he's doing right now is going to be kind of a domino effect. And we might see more of this and um, in a way where we kind of saw players kneel after Colin Kaepernick did it. And we keep seeing that years after he started. So um, I think that this is huge. It's going to change the game, literally, um, maybe not <laughs> the game of basketball, but it's going to change endorsement deals and maybe shift people more towards smaller name companies with high quality product and good treatment of their employees. Um, Mike, I want to go to you with this question, kind of piggybacking on what Gigi just said. How much of a difference does it make that this isn't really an American issue? Is it, It's a foreign policy issue. And it's we're talking about uh, human rights, def- human right uh, abuse issues in another country, but a country that has a huge hand in the NBA's financial revenue. I mean, China is literally is is Nike, Nike and the NBA are both deeply embedded into the Chinese market. So we saw two years ago when the whole Daryl Morey thing happened with the Rockets, when he was tweeting out in support of the pro democracy protesters in Hong Kong. Uh, China stopped airing their games. China didn't air the past few Celtics games uh, with this current situation. And then basically the NBA didn't really say anything about it. And it kind of got swept under the rug. And here we are today and we we don't talk about it. Daryl Morey hasn't said anything since. Do you think we're going to see a similar situation here? I I think it's really tough to say, but 
I do think that there is something good about this in the fact that, I mean, human rights has no borders. It's not that, you know, just outside when you leave the U.S. that, you know, suddenly it's not a problem anymore. And I think that, you know, it can't be that the NBA ignores, you know, the human rights issues outside of this country. You saw what they did with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, during the, you know, the bubble. And, and all of that was great. But, you know, they should take the same approach, you know, outside the U.S. And I think, you know, I think Enos Cantor is shedding light on that. I think he's doing a good job, you know of forcing people to speak up and speak against, you know, the human rights issues in other countries. And I think that, you know, an avenue, if NBA wants to globalize their game to other countries, they shouldn't ignore the human rights issues in those countries. So I think that's a really big thing for them. And, you know, it, 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 we're, it, we're unsure where, what direction will, this will go, if it was a similar situation as it was a couple of years ago. But I think it, it opens up for us to talk about it, and I think that's a good start. Yeah, and Ness Cantor is someone who's who's very active politically. I mean, this is somebody who also was very vocal when uh, the Turkish Turkish president was involved in human rights violation, and actually, uh, he ended up being sued for that, and nothing really came out of it. But this is someone who, he he doesn't have as big of a platform as some of the bigger stars in this league. But I think he's doing a great job with that platform to reach out. I know he he's been very active on Twitter with this whole situation, and he recently called out the Nike uh, co-founder and also LeBron James and was basically and Michael Jordan he was calling out these big names and saying join me to a trip to China to explore the existence of forced labor camps like join me on this come like you guys are both outspoken about other things why don't you join me on this issue so Gigi do you think we're going to see like realistically I I know during the Daryl Morey situation when LeBron was asked about these same type of topics he was kind of like listen like I'm going to speak up for what I know information about but if I don't know uh information on the topic I'm not going to get involved do you think this is a situation where we'll see somebody like a MJ or LeBron get involved yeah I think absolutely I mean maybe more from LeBron than MJ uh but MJ he is the face of footwear it's not even just basketball especially Nike Nike yeah and so I mean cancer is wearing a pair of 11s in that photo too and those are some hot shoes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that um, it would be nice to see MJ talk about it because you have such a widespread push and desire for any type of Jordans um, as a young person or even older people, too, that like sneakers. So it would be great to hear him talk about it. I don't know about MJ. I think pre- probably more LeBron because I think he is at his core a really good person. And um, this can't be ignored. I don't think this is the last we're going to hear of it. And I think more probably Nike sponsored athletes will get involved from various sports too. Well, we're just about out of time on this episode of Pick and Pod, but I, I would be remiss to not do a mini, 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 mini Halloween segment since Halloween is right around the corner. So I've asked Gigi and Mike both to give me, to prepare for this show, their most creative NBA themed costume. It doesn't have to be a player. It doesn't. It could be anything, but it has to be NBA themed. Has to be creative, and it has to be a costume. Gigi, I'm gonna start with you. All right, I got it. So if I'm doing an NBA creative inspired costume, I'm gonna put a jack o' lantern on my head, and I'm gonna wear a St. Vincent St. Mary's 23 jersey, and I'm gonna be LeBron James in the giant peach except instead of a jacqueline on my head it's gonna be a peach i forgot about that part <laughs> never mind i take that back peach on my head lebron james jersey lebron james and the giant peach that's who i'm being i love that Thanks. very creative mike can you can you one-up that well um i i, I uh <laughs> I, 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 that was a good one i'm stumbling now. i love the stutter that was per- i want that in the gift for <laughs> but uh you know i was thinking about it before the show i was kind of you know i had a couple that i were thinking about but i was thinking 
you know, you go over to Denver and you've got someone that is called the Joker. And if you do have his jersey and some paint, you can put on your face That's good. to look like the Joker and also have his jersey on. That'd be a really good costume. You know what? That is really good. You guys both have impressed me. Kelly, I got to know yours. Uh, so I, I have two. Mm-hmm. One, not as creative. I just really, really want somebody, somebody tall to be Tim Duncan wearing his jean shorts. <laughs> like Tim Duncan pregame. Okay. Not actually in the jersey, but like the jorts, because I think those are iconic. But more along the lines of what you guys went with, I'm thinking you're a robot, but you're also Kawhi Leonard. Oh. So you got the Kawhi like that, Leonard jersey and you're half robot. That's creative. That's so I, I think the three of us, we just get anyone looking for last minute Halloween costumes, I think the three of us just set you up nicely for at least three nights of dressing up. Oh, absolutely. But that's going to do it for this episode of Pick and Pod. For Mike Calamari and Gigi Spear, I'm Kelly Bright. Happy Halloween. Happy basketball. Can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports.